Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here. I'd like to welcome all those at our South Campus. Uh, glad to have you in church today. I'll tell you, it's beautiful here at Stevens Creek. Uh, the, all the decorations and everything is really makes it special. But I'll tell you, uh, the sanctuary at the South Campus, I'll tell you, it's, it's up a notch. And I was just uh, noticing all of the ornaments here. But in that architecture of the South Campus, it is just so beautiful. And so we enjoy it here. But you ought to visit the South Campus sometime during Christmas. You would really enjoy that too. I'd like to welcome all those watching online. You know, I love to start with something funny. Uh, did you hear about the guy that was, had to work out of town leading up to Christmas? And he was feeling, really feeling guilty about that. And so on his way back home, he decided he had stopped by the department store to get his wife an extra gift uh, before Christmas. And he walked into the store and saw the cosmetic counter there. And he said, I'd like to get my, uh, some perfume. And the clerk brought out a $50 bottle of perfume. And he said, oh, that's nice, but... That's a little bit uh, much here. And then she brought out a $30 bottle of perfume. And he said, oh, that's a little bit too much here, too. And said, do you have something uh, a little less? And then she was frustrated and brought out a little $15 bottle of perfume. He said, look, he said, what I really want to see here is do you, I want to see something really cheap. And so... She brought out a mirror. <laughs> and so, guys, let me say this. Right now, you're in the hunt for Christmas presents. And listen to me in South Campus. You're in the hunt for Christmas presents. And, and you can go cheap on anybody that you're buying, for your mama, your daddy, your children. But you do not go cheap on your wife, okay? Don't look for the sale, but you need to go all in. Christmas is a big deal. Uh, did you hear about the, uh, the family that invited uh, the grandma over leading up to Christmas? And they were enjoying some time uh, downstairs, and it was, it was bedtime, so the mom took the child up uh, to bed. And they were saying their evening prayers, and the, the son was, uh, started praying, said, God, I asked that you'd give me a set of Legos. And then he said, and I want some Hot Wheels. And with every request, he was getting louder and louder. And finally, he started shouting. He said, and I want a new bicycle. And she said, son, son, settle down. You don't have to yell. said, God is not deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> he didn't have faith in God, but he had a lot of faith in Grandma. Well, today we're starting a brand new Christmas series called Believe, and what we know is that everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. Some believe primarily in themselves and their own abilities. Other people believe in money and their possessions. Some people believe um, in uh, political leaders, and they look for their hope and their direction from political leaders. Other people believe in horoscopes. But we as Christians, we, as, we believe 
and an all-powerful God who created the universe and he created everything in it. We believe in a God who loves us so much that he would send his son to be born as a baby in a manger some 2,000 years ago. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the answer. We believe that he is the one that has the power to save us, the power to heal us, the power to restore us, and the one who gives us hope that there is a better day coming. And some of you, maybe life has let you down. We all know that the last few years have been uh, very difficult and very challenging. And so many people come through these doors, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you've been so disappointed in what has unfolded over the last several months. And you've been tempted to say, oh, I'm, I don't believe in that anymore. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is worth believing in. He'll never let you down, and he will fulfill the promises that he's given you. This series is about that. It's about putting our faith, it's about putting our trust in a power that is greater than ourselves. It's about reconnecting with the true meaning of Christmas. When we think about Christmas, the Christmas story starts in the book of Luke. And today I want to open up the pages of the Bible to chapter 1 of the book of Luke. Now, we all know that the big story in the Gospel of Luke is the birth of Jesus Christ. But when we look at chapter 1, Luke spends as many verses describing the circumstances and the conception of the birth of John the Baptist than he does in the birth of Jesus. So we pick it up in Luke chapter 1. We begin reading with verse 5. It said, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and degrees blamelessly. So what we see here is that both Zechariah and Elizabeth grew up in families that were involved in ministry. So when Zechariah married Elizabeth, it was like a, a preacher marrying a preacher's daughter. This family was a, a power couple. They were remarkable. In fact, Luke says that they were righteous and, the, and they were blameless. In other words, they lived a godly, scandal-free life. But even though they lived a godly, scandal-free life, everything didn't go as they had hoped. They had some heartaches along the way. They had some struggles along the way. We pick it up in the next verse, verse 7. It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was barren. She was not able to conceive. And notice this, and they were both very old. Now, when I read that, honestly, I was a little offended that he said they were very old. Because one commentator said that Elizabeth and Zechariah were in their 60s. And I am 60. 
And so the Bible is saying, Marty, you are very old. Now, now I feel like I am 35, but I guess in Luke's eyes, I am very old. Now, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth never stopped praying for a baby. They earnestly prayed and they prayed and they prayed, but they didn't see the answers to their prayers until now. And as the story is, is unfolds, Zechariah is serving uh, as a priest in, in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, historians tell us that there were 20,000 priests in, the, uh, in Israel at that time. 20,000 priests, and they were organized into 24 divisions, and each of those priests served twice a year, one week at a time. Now, the, the highest honor that a priest would be given at that time was the opportunity to take incense into the holy place where it would be sprinkled on the burning um, coals on the golden altar. Now, this was such a high honor that more than likely, this would only take place one time in an individual priest's life. Only one time would a, uh, a priest be able to do this in his lifetime. And this is Zachariah's day. In that holy moment, he took the incense into the holy place, and you know what happened? An angel showed up. An angel showed up. It had been, now he was not expecting, think about this, he was not expecting a, a heavenly visitor to show up on that day. It had been 400 years since they had had a word from the Lord. 400 years now. 400 years of silence. They had longed to hear God speak. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit had not been poured out upon the world at that point. They had waited 400 years to hear. So we pick it up in verse 11. Zechariah is there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, Elizabeth at this point had been barren for many, many years, and they had been praying, they had been believing for children, and, but at their age, it didn't seem possible. But before Zechariah could say even a word, the angel started to describe this child and said he's going to bring joy to many people, that he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, that he's not going to drink wine or strong drink, that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that he was going to turn many to the Lord. In fact, he's going to serve in the, with the spirit of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. I am sure that Zechariah went to work that day thinking that, okay, this is a big deal. This is a special day. I get to go and burn incense on the golden altar. But he didn't expect an angel to show up. He was not expecting his prayers to be answered in this sort of way. It startled him. He was gripped with fear. 
And when the angel said that, look at his response in verse 18. Zechariah asked, how? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, I get that. I get Zechariah completely. I mean, if the doctor said to me, he said, Marty, you and Patty are going to have another baby, that would be very shocking to me. And Patty, wouldn't it shock you too? I mean, you know, uh, here's the key difference between Zechariah and Elizabeth and Patty and me. Here, we're not praying for another baby. Our last baby was born 28 years ago. We've got three grown children. We kind of like having three grown children. Some of you are really crying and you're worried about that empty nest. It's better than you think. <laughs> well, we got three grown children and three grandchildren. I mean, our quiver is, is full. And, and we've got a wonderful son-in-law in, in addition to all of that. We don't need any more children. We're not praying for that, but Zachariah and Elizabeth had not given up on their dream. But as Zechariah is responding to the angel's conversation, you can hear in his voice that there's some skepticism there. There's some doubt there. He was in essence saying, yeah, I've got a dream for children. Yeah, I've got a, I want to have kids, but I don't see how this can happen. I mean, we're too old. I mean, young kids... Young uh, people have kids. Older couples don't. So which is harder to believe? Which is harder to believe that an older couple, well advanced um, beyond childbearing years, could have a child or a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son? Now, both of these circumstances are humanly impossible. But in the Christmas story, we see that Mary believed, but Zechariah did not believe. There are times when very strong believers will struggle with unbelief. Zechariah and Elizabeth were strong believers but they struggled here. Here's the point. Strong believers can have strong doubts. Jesus is calling us to trust him even when we do not see things changing. Strong believers. And I'm speaking to a group of strong believers here. I'm speaking to those in our South Campus, those watching online, to strong believers here. And I know that there are seasons in your, your life that you scratch your head and you wonder why. And you wonder how can things change. You just don't see it coming. But I would say to you, continue to put your trust, continue to put your faith in him. Zachariah's unbelief, it didn't come from some sort of moral weakness here. I think it, was some, it came from something more basic than that. He simply could not imagine. 
He couldn't imagine how could this happen? How could his wife conceive? He couldn't imagine how a couple on Medicare could be welcoming a new baby into their family. I mean, how can that happen? I think he suffered from a problem that many of us suffer from. Zechariah did not allow himself to think any differently than he had always thought. Even when Gabriel showed up with a word from the Lord, he was stuck in his thinking. So many times I meet people who are stuck at a season in their life because they are stuck in their thinking. They cannot imagine, they can't envision ever life changing. They look at a problem, they look at a difficulty, and all they can see is their problem, is their difficulty. They cannot see past that. Zechariah couldn't see past his age. And Gabriel showed up with a word from the Lord. But let's go and see what else happened there. We go back to verse 13. It says, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, year after year, they'd prayed. They had prayed that God would give them a child. And here, the angel is saying, your prayer has been heard. All those years that you have prayed, all those years that you have prayed, some of you have prayed prayers over and over. You've prayed for this situation to change. You've prayed for this person to change. You've prayed for healing for over and over. Here's what I see in this verse, that our prayers do not have an expiration date. You may never know when or where or how God will answer. You don't know when or where or how that God will answer, but you have to trust him. And there are times in your life where, where it seems like that there's a glass ceiling over you and your prayers. That the heavens, they would say, are brass above you. There seems like there are times in my life where, where God is silent. That maybe I prayed and prayed and prayed and yet there are no answer to my prayer. It is as if I am going along in my life and God presses pause in my life and said, I need you to move over here. And I walk in this room and I see the, uh, I see the words over the door. It says God's waiting room. I need you to wait in this room. And some of you know the pressures of being in a waiting room. And some of you know the pressures of being in God's waiting room. You had your, your life all mapped out. You thought you were, you were seeing your life unfold before you. And everything is moving at the speed of light. But then all of a sudden it stops. And you're now in a waiting room. You're waiting for an answer. You're waiting for something to change. You're waiting for somebody to come in and say, okay, your time is up. When you're in God's waiting room, it is okay to say, God, I don't understand this. It's okay to say, God, it's not fair. As long as you put this phrase onto your frustration. God, I don't understand this, 
God, I don't like this. God, it's not fair, but I trust you. I trust you. I believe in you. And here's the problem. That's not what Zechariah did. Gabriel showed up. He said, your prayer's been heard. And then Zechariah responded, huh, are you sure? Now, are you sure? Are you really sure this is going to happen? That was his response. And the angel said, yes, Zechariah, it's going to happen. But because you doubted, you will remain silent. We see this in verse 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent here to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until to the day this happens. Because, why? Because you did not believe. You did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Now, from that moment on, Zechariah couldn't talk. He walked out of the holy place. He saw his friends, his family members, his co-workers around the temple. He goes to talk to them, but there's nothing coming out. There's no words coming out because he could not talk. He was silent. And you wonder, why? Why did God take his voice away? I'm sure there's a lesson in that. Could it be that Zechariah is tinged and leaning toward the doubt and unbelief could have grown? I mean, could it be that God knew that he was going to talk about, oh, yeah, this angel came and this angel said we're going to have a baby? But, you know, I just don't know. We're kind of old. I mean, look at Elizabeth. Look at, look at me. I mean, we're old, very old. Could it be that if Zechariah continued to talk, that he would talk himself out of the miracle that was about to happen? I meet people like that. If something good happens, an opportunity comes their way, and, and all of a sudden they start to talk their way out of it. I, oh, I don't see how I could ever do this. I don't have the gifts, or I don't have the talents, or, or why would they do this, or why would I get this promotion? And you start talking yourself out of that. Sometimes we do that. We talk ourselves out of a blessing. We talk ourselves out of a miracle and said, oh, well, you know, uh, this is the same issue that my dad worked, uh, dealt with and, and his dad dealt, you know, this is just my lot and my, we're from a long hist uh, historical uh, line of addicts here and I guess that's just what I have to deal with. And we start to talk ourselves out of a better life. But if Gabriel were standing here today, I believe he would say the same thing that he, to you that he said to Zechariah. He said, I stand in the presence of the Almighty God, and what he has promised to you will come to pass. If you'll stay in faith, all the forces of darkness cannot keep God's will from happening in your life. 
I believe that God will open doors that no one can shut. He will turn situations around that look impossible, where there are obstacles that are coming in to try to stop you. God said that he will cause you to run through a, a troop and leap over a wall. That God says that if you can't go, go through it, that he'll allow you to go over it. The bottom line is this. People can't stop God's will in your life, and people can't stop God's plan. God has the final say. But Zechariah, with his unbelief, what happened to him? Zechariah's unbelief cost him his voice, but it did not cancel God's plan in his life. God knows what he's doing. Zechariah was not a, a bad man, but yet under pressure, he gave way to doubt and unbelief. And honestly, most of us may have done the same thing. We could find ourselves in that situation. What do we know from about that? We know that God works through imperfect people to accomplish his will in this world. God works through imperfect people. God works through broken people. God uses imperfect people like Zechariah, like you, like me, people who've made mistakes, people that, that in a moment of weakness that we made the wrong choice, people that feel unqualified, feel, people that feel that we can't accomplish the, his will, that God uses us. Even though you stumble, even though you've blown it, God uses us. When God intends to send a baby into this world, he works through people like you and me. And so the big idea is this. Yes, we all make mistakes. We all stumble. Your mistakes are a setback. But they will not cancel God's plan for your life. God has a plan. And I want you to know that he is going to complete what he started. God is sovereign. Throughout the whole Christmas story, you will see that every turn, there's a strong emphasis on God's sovereignty. Neither Zachariah's unbelief or Herod's murderous rage could stop or even slow down God's plan to bring his son into the world. When we just stop for a moment and we think about the word sovereign, the word sovereign is a compound word, solve and then reign. We look at this word and we see sov, uh, it simply means supreme. The word reign means to rule, to, uh, to be over, to be in charge. So when we say that God is sovereign, we say that God is the supreme ruler. He is the one that is in charge, that is over it all. Your mistakes may set you back, but they will not cancel God's plan for your life. God is sovereign. He's still on the throne. And even though you may reject his leadership, even though you may walk away from him, he is still here and he is sovereign over your life. We've got to trust him with that. You see, faith declares that God is in control when it seems like everything else is out of control. And I'm calling you to have faith. I'm calling you to believe 
I'm calling you to dig deep down inside of you and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this, but I trust you. I trust that you are directing my steps. I look at Psalm chapter 47 and verse 8. It says, God reigns over the nations, and we can all say that. Yes, we believe that God is in charge, that he reigns over the nations, but I want you to bring this personal. I want you to make it personal. Yes, God not only reigns over the nations, but God reigns over my life. Yes, God, I declare that you're reigning over my circumstances. You reign over my health. You reign over my finances. You reign over my children, over my enemies. I'll tell you, I I pray this on a regular basis. I'll say, let nobody but Jesus run my life. Let nobody but Jesus. And I just say, God, let your will be done in my life. And I pray that over my family. I say, let nobody but Jesus run Patty's life. Then I go through over my kids. Let nobody but Jesus run Stuart's life. And let nobody but Jesus run Sarah and Drew's life. Let nobody but Jesus run Sam's life. I pray that over my grandchildren. I pray that over Summit and Forrest and, and Shepherd. Let nobody but Jesus. God, I surrender my life to you. There comes a point where we have to surrender our lives to him and say, God, you are supreme. That angel said, Zachariah, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. He sent me to tell you good news, but because you did not believe my words, you'll remain silent. From that moment, he couldn't talk. Then the miracle happened. Elizabeth, in her old age, gave birth to a baby. The promise was fulfilled. The prayers were answered. Her friends and her family, they were so excited. We pick up the story at the end of the chapter 1, verse 59. On the eighth day, the baby's born. On the eighth day, they're going to bring him to the temple in dedication. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name is to be called John. You ever notice that? They. They decided to name him. They. They were going to name him. Have you ever wondered who they is? All of a sudden, this becomes a a community uh, where friends and family, oh, we know what's best for you, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Because they knew that, that at that point, a mother in those days did not name the child, but a father named the child. But now the father can't talk, so they said, well, we will just name the child. They gathered around and they said this. And Elizabeth spoke up and said, what do you mean? Nobody in this family is named, they said, nobody in this family is named John. But Elizabeth said, no, we're going to name him John. And they looked to the Zechariah. And Zechariah motioned and said, I want you to get me a tablet. Get a tablet. And he went and wrote the name John down. And much to their surprise, when he wrote the name John, his voice was restored and he could speak again. Now, let me go back to the they comment for a minute. When they wanted to name the baby, they thought they knew what's best for the child. Sometimes, well-meaning people in your life 
will try to name your baby. We all have these. We all have well-meaning people in our lives that want to give us advice and want to give us counsel. And I believe we need to listen to advice and we need to listen to counsel and take that advice. But you cannot let somebody else name your baby. Don't let somebody else name your future. God has given you this dream. God has given you this vision. And this is something God has placed in your heart. And I am saying to you, I want you to follow the promptings of the Lord. I want you to follow the will of God for your life. And though other people are trying to direct you this way or that way, you know deep in your spirit where you need to go and what you need to do. And I speak to you in the name of the Lord that you step out in faith. You put your confidence in God, that the God who has called you, the God who has anointed you, he's going to complete what he started in you. So hear that. Don't let the crowds around you steal your joy, steal your victory. Don't let the crowds around you try to take you down a a secondary path when you know where you need to go. Don't let anybody name your future. God's given you this dream. When Zechariah wrote, his name is John, notice what happens. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. God demonstrated his mercy and he restored Zechariah's voice. As I was praying this week and specifically yesterday and just thinking about that, I felt like that the Lord would be speaking to some of you very intentionally over the next few minutes. Because there are people here that you've lost your voice. You've lost your place. Maybe you've lost your place in your family. Maybe you've lost your place at work. Maybe you've lost your place on your career path and your education. Maybe you had envisioned to be uh, one career, but yet your grades didn't line up in that field. You've lost your voice. But we see in this story is that God is a God of restoration. And I believe today that God is going to restore you. But not only restore you, but Joel chapter 2 and verse 25 says, I'll repay you, I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. And I want you to understand this, that God is in the restoration business. And some of you uh, have made mistakes in the past and you feel like those mistakes have taken you out of the game. You feel like those mistakes uh, have uh, blocked any forward progress. But hear this, God is in the, the business of restoration and God is going to restore you. So we come to the place today. They would say, God, come, move in my life.
That's what he wants to do. He wants to move in your life. I want to pray for you in the next few minutes. And some of you, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And today is your day to say, Jesus, save me. Help me. There's nothing more powerful than a simple prayer like that. Say, Jesus, guide me. Forgive me. There are some of you that you've prayed that prayer before, but for whatever reason you have wandered uh, from the faith and you are not as close to God as you once were. And God is calling you to rededicate your life. God is calling you to come back home this Christmas. That you are that prodigal, that you have wandered away from, from his will in your life. Over the next few minutes, we're going to pray. And it's my prayer that God not only restores you and restores your faith, but he's going to restore you and your family. Because there are some of you here that you have prodigal daughters and you have prodigal sons. And today we're going to stand together and we're going to pray, God, would you restore my family? There are some of you that you are at odds with people that you love. And every time you get around, there's this under, uh, uh, there's this tension underneath the conversations. There's this edge on the conversations. And it seems like that hidden edge is just destroying the peace in your family gatherings. And today, we're going to pray that God will restore your family and will give you peace. That as you embrace the holidays, that you sense that his peace is here. There are some of you today that you have lost your voice. And God is saying, I'm going to restore your voice. Where you have felt as though nobody is hearing you and you are not being understood. That God is going to raise you up and God is going to anoint you. That as you speak, they will look at you and listen to you as if they're hearing it for the very first time. And people will turn and and listen and you will be able to provide the direction because it is not you that is speaking. But it is the anointing of God that has given you the words to handle very challenging and difficult circumstances, circumstances that you don't have the ability to, but God in you is going to turn that around and you're going to see it change because of this prayer. I want you to lean in. I want you to understand that the spirit of the Lord is standing in this place. And I want you to understand that this is a moment where we're going to say, God, come and move in us. And God, move in this room and move in our families and move in our city and let your presence be here. Let your power be here. Let us not go through another day like we've done, but let this be a moment where we're changed. Now, on our South Campus, I want you to sense God's presence in this moment. And I want to say to you that God is restoring you. He's renewing you. And he's going to bring the answer. Are you ready to pray? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus.
we sense your presence in this room. And God, my heart breaks because I know I'm speaking to people. Uh, God, that they're invested. They're, they're, they're strong believers, but yet they have been through a season where they have strong doubts. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and that you would open up our eyes and let us see that there are more people for us than there are against us. Jesus, I pray that you would release the angels of heaven to encamp round about our household. I pray, God, that you would push back the darkness, that you would push back the enemy from our families, from our workplaces. I pray, God, that in the name of Jesus, that we would find the freedom that we so long for. Come, Lord, help us. And for those of you that have never been saved, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. I receive your touch and your spirit in Jesus' name. Now, Father, that's all of our prayers, that we would receive what you have for us. I want you to say that. Say, Father, I receive what you have for me. Say that. Say, I receive what you have for me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.